Amen. Let's give the Lord Jesus a great big hand clap of praise. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Mayo. Love and appreciate the Mayos, this church. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of Genesis. And as you're opening there, I do want to give, uh, I want to publicly honor Bishop Goder. Amen. Uh, just a few, I think a year and a half ago, two years ago, he bought our home missions church a van. And I've never been able to publicly thank him. And uh, I can't tell you how many people I've met who were home missionaries as well. They said, hey, Brother Goder bought us a van too. And I give double, triple, quadruple honor to this great man of God. Love and appreciate you. And um, so glad I could have my wife with me and uh, several of the saints from East Bay. And uh, so good to be preaching here. I feel very unworthy. Uh, heard all this great preaching. And uh, just want to try to do my best. And uh, love and appreciate the men coming after me. Amen. Give honor to uh, man, Brother Goder is preaching tomorrow, Brother Holmes, Bishop Holmes, and my good friend, Brother Marks. God bless him. Amen. Uh, it, takes, it takes everybody, amen, to do the work of God. Uh, I, I not only, I am now a home missionary, not an evangelist, but I remember a time when I was seeking God sincerely for direction in my life, and I was on the phone with Brother Marks and spoke a few words to me, amen, and I knew that I was in the will of God. And you never want to do the, word of, the work of God without a word from God. Hallelujah. You better get you a burning bush experience before you step out. Hallelujah. And uh, amen. So good to be in the presence of so much family and friends. Love and appreciate everyone. All right. Let's go to the book of Genesis chapter number two and verse number eight. And then we're going to jump down to verse number 15. And everyone say amen when they are there. Hallelujah. Genesis 2 and 8 says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Verse number 15 says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. And then it says why God did it. To dress it and to keep it. The word keep there in Hebrew is shamar, which literally means to guard, to guard. Everyone say guard. And I want to preach to you just for a few moments on this thought, the garden of God, the garden of God. Can we say that together? The garden of God. Jesus, we thank you for your presence, and we thank you that today we're able to be here in the presence of such great company, apostolic, Holy Ghost-filled brethren. Jesus, I'm asking you today that you would touch me and enable me to preach and to edify and to bless your people. Open my mouth and speak through me as the oracles of the Lord and allow me to edify the hearer and to impart grace in Jesus' name. And someone shout, Amen. Let's give the Lord Jesus a great big hand. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. In Genesis, we find that God created a world which was initially good. In chapter 1, verses 4, 10, 12, 18, 21, and 25, we hear the words at the end of each verse, and God saw that it was good. Within this good world, God created a place that was better than good. It was a place on the eastern region of a country called Eden. This place does not have a name. The Bible simply calls it a garden. Later on, the scriptures will also refer to it as the garden of God. The Bible says that God created a man, and then he put the man inside that garden. And then suddenly we hear for the first time something unique, 
something that is not good. One thinks to themselves, what could possibly not be good in this place that is better than good? It was not good, even under the most utopian conditions, for a man to be alone. And thus God responds to this not-so-goodness by giving the man a wife, not a buddy, not a friend, not a follower, not a fan, a wife. Maybe I need to say that again. Hallelujah. He gave him a wife. The man and his wife had three responsibilities, to work in the garden, to guard the garden, and to not eat from one particular tree in the garden. Life in the garden was special. It was better than good. Inside the garden, there were things that you could not find outside of the garden. It was Adam and Eve's job to guard the garden. The Bible tells us that one day a serpent from the field, in other words, from outside the garden, came into the garden. The serpent was precisely the kind of creature that Adam and Eve were supposed to keep out of the garden. We all know how the story ends. We all know that there were mistakes made by Adam. We all know that there were mistakes made by Eve. But when we put Adam and Eve together, we see that the mistake they both made as a couple, as a family, as a husband, and as a wife, was that they failed to keep the serpent out of the garden. It was a mistake that cost them everything. The serpent was not after the exotic trees and fruits. He wasn't looking for a perfectly climatized environment or rivers filled with precious gold and metals. He wanted something more valuable than that. He wanted the relationships. He wanted Adam and Eve's relationship with God. He wanted Adam and Eve's relationship with each other. I want to preach to you tonight that it's time for couples, for married people, for husbands and wives, for families to be on the same page about this one thing. It's time to guard the garden. It's time our homes our marriages, our children, our families, our relationships are not social institutions. They are the gardens of God and they must be guarded. And God's not going to do it for us. He expects you and I to guard the garden. He expects you and I to assume responsibility for our marriage, to assume responsibility for our children, to assume responsibility... Come on, help me preach. Oh, hallelujah. I'm married. There's a lot of things my wife and I don't agree on. We don't, are, we don't have the same favorite color. Hallelujah. We don't all agree on all kinds of things. But there is one thing we agree on. It's both of our jobs to keep the serpent out of our garden. We may disagree on this, that, and the other, but there's one thing we all got to be on the same page about. The devil can't get in this marriage. The devil can't get in our kids. The devil can't. Oh, come on, somebody. Come on. While I'm preaching, you can get on the same page. Maybe you've been fighting since the day you stepped in this conference, but it's time for you to get on the same page and realize there's one thing we both got to do, and that is guard this garden. Come on. Come on. There are things in a marriage... Amen. In principle, that only a woman can do. There are things in a marriage in principle that only a man can do. But both a man and a woman can guard their garden. We can share this responsibility. This doesn't require muscle. This doesn't require, amen. 
This doesn't require physical strength. This requires the ability to get on your knees and pray. This requires your ability to open up your Bible and read it out loud in the house. This requires... Come on, everybody can guard their garden. Every... Oh, come on, let's praise him. Let's praise him. Let's praise him. Hallelujah. That the family is of the utmost importance is not up for debate in Christianity. It might be up for debate in society, but that's not up for debate in here. The family is important. The family is special. The family is the garden of God. There's things that happen in the family that don't take place outside of the family. The family's not just something common. It doesn't matter how many families there are on the earth. They're still special. Every single one of them. The Abrahamic covenant is on the family. The blessing of the Lord is on the family. The promise of the Holy Ghost is on the family. For the promise is unto you and unto your Come on, every family matters. Your, if your family didn't matter, why has the devil been fighting you so hard? If your family doesn't mean a thing, come on, we've bought into a lie. Your family is important. Your marriage is important. I'm preaching to somebody, you've been going through all kinds of trouble in your marriage and with your children, and the devil's convinced you, amen, that God don't care about your wife and God don't care about your husband and God don't care about your kids and God don't care about your family. He cares, he cares, he cares, he cares. He... Come on. I'm preaching to a kid right now. You're watching your parents go through a divorce. It's time for you to get in the battle, young person, and start praying for that garden. Come on, it's time for you to lift up. Hey, you don't have to just stand there and cry amen you have mighty weapons of warfare amen you can get on your knees and pray and fast God can bring your mama back God can bring your daddy back God can bring your brother back God can bring your sister back God can bring your uncle back God can bring your cousins back God come on praise him praise him This is not part of my message, but there's nothing worse, amen, than a marriage where only one person is fighting. There's nothing worse than a marriage where only one person is guarding. There's nothing worse, amen. There's nothing more troubling. There's nothing more upsetting than a marriage, amen, where only the husband is fighting or only the wife is fighting. And in some cases, you see it where only the kids are fighting. We got to get on the battleship, all of us together. And it... Come on. It's time for our families to engage in war. Come on. Come on. Yes. Yes. Do you feel that there's a spirit of unity in here right now? There's a Oh, for about five seconds, let's just magnify Jesus. Come on, there's a wonderful spirit of unity. Come on, we're getting on the same page. We're going in the same direction, right? Last Friday, your church, my church, churches all around the world stopped to remember the death of Jesus. Now, I know some stopped to ponder the mysteries of bunnies and chickens. But those of us who believe in Jesus stopped to think about Jesus 
and his death on the cross. What a lot of us did not do was stop and reflect about what Jesus remembered on the cross. When Jesus hung on the cross, breathing his last breaths, speaking his last words, he looked at one of his disciples that was standing by, beside his mother and said to him, behold your mother. And then he looked at his mother and said, behold your son. When Jesus was on the cross, you want to know what he remembered? He remembered how important it is for everyone to be part of a family. He, there on the cross, he guarded the garden one more Jesus said, if I'm going out, I'm going out guarding. If I'm going out with my last breath, with my last words, I'll fight for this garden. I'm telling you right now, there's nothing more important. There's nothing more significant on this earth. Come on, I'm looking for some people, even if you have a broken home, even if you have a shattered marriage, you should, you should get up and defy the devil and say, I will arise from this and my family will go with me and I, I will be part of a family again. God will restore me. God will recover me. God will give Help this preacher preach. Help this. You got to understand, it's the work of the devil to divide. Even the word Greek for, for devil, Diablo comes from two Greek words, dia, D-I-A, and balo, B-A-L-L-O, dia, balo. Its most ancient etymology means to tear apart, to divide. One of the most insightful moments in the Bible is when Jesus cast the devil out of a man who was full of devils, a man from Gadara. This man, had three problems. You know, because Satan operates in phases. All right. When he inculcates a human soul, when he takes over, it happens progressively. Yes. Yes. Phase number one was he made the man take his clothes off. Phase number two was he made the man unfettered, uncontrollable, unfiltered, and unrestrainable. He divided him from all sense of morality. Then he divided him from all sense of civility. And last but not least, he did the most nasty thing he could do. He divided the man internally. He said, we... He lost all individuality. He now had split personalities. Wow. 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 Oh, I know people that have split personalities. We don't think much of it because they're not, you know, with the psychiatrist or whatever. But yeah, they're out there. There's somebody on Facebook and someone else in church. You know what the problem is in the church? We make a bigger deal about people who can't be rebuked and people who can't keep their clothes on. But then we, we, we overlook the most sinister thing of all when somebody is divided internally, when someone has divisions in their life. There's somebody on Facebook and somebody else in church. They walk around the lobby trying to split the church. I'm telling you the most sinister thing that can ever get a hold of us is the spirit of division. Amen. When... I'm telling you, that is the final and greatest. The devil wants to divide your home. The devil wants to divide your marriage. The devil wants to divide your children. The devil wants... 
I'm telling you right now, amen, God does the opposite. He brings things together. When Pharaoh stood in front of Joseph and told him his dream, Joseph said, Pharaoh, the two dreams you had, they are one. And Pharaoh looked at him and said, man, can anybody find a man as this in whom the Spirit of God is? Because the Spirit of God brings things together. The Spirit of God makes things one. The Spirit of God brings unity. The Spirit of God is one. The Spirit of God... I feel the unity of God in this house right now. Your wife doesn't even have to be here for a spirit of reconciliation to begin to work. Your husband doesn't even need to be in the pew next to you right now. And I believe God can go to work on him right now. But but you got to identify the culprit and you got to start guarding the garden. You got to start lifting a standard. You got Come on, come on, come on. Let's praise him, let's praise him. Jesus, Jesus. Come on. By the power that is in the name of Jesus, we cast out division. Come on, pray for your church. Pray for your marriage. Pray for your family. Pray for your home. Spirit of division, leave in the name of Jesus. Demonic influence, leave me alone in the name of Jesus. I bind the spirit of division. I cast down the spirit of division. I resist the spirit... I thank God for every good church service we have. I thank God when the music is good. I thank God when the preaching is good. But you know what I look for every time is when people stick around when church is over. That is just as indi- that is just as informative about how good our service really was when the people stick around and they're unified. When that family spirit gets on us in the lobby instead of that division spirit. Home missionary, don't just gauge things by how many people showed up. Gauge things if the people that did show up stick around for a few minutes rather than just leave right away. That means you got some Holy Ghost stuff going on because God brings people together. God! You just watch somebody get the Holy Ghost. They'll go around the surface hugging everybody. They'll go around giving everybody a high five. They'll want to hang out and what? That's what the Spirit of God does. We're living in a world that does not appreciate the family. Brother Mayo, Abraham left everything because God told him, I'll make you a dad. I'll give you a family. We got people doing the reverse. Leaving their family to be everything they thought they could be. He's still preaching good. He's still preaching good right about now. Come on. I know this ain't the kind of stuff we swing on the chandeliers off, but I'm telling you right now, this is the kind of stuff that keeps families together. Come on. We got a whole generation of young people that think it's not that important for me to ever have kids. It's not that important if I ever get married. That is not the spirit of the Lord talking to you. That is the spirit of this age. That is the spirit of this age. You need to shake that thing off. You need to shake that thing off. We were put. 
Is there anybody here willing to leave it all to be a good dad? Willing to leave it all to be a great mama? Willing? Come on. Come on. Clap to that. Show the devil. Show that spirit of division. Come on. As they're clapping, you ought to say, God, I thank you for my wife. God, I thank you for my husband. God, I thank you for my children. God, I thank I'm preaching to some people you weren't raised in church and since the day you walked down the aisle with your wife, the devil's been telling you, I'm going to tear your family apart. I'm going to make her cheat on you. You're going to walk out on her like your dad walked out on your mom. You need to speak back to that spirit and say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Spirit of divorce, I talk unity to you. Spirit of divorce, I speak Come on. The Holy Ghost is touching people right now. I'm telling you, the devil doesn't want you to identify him as the culprit. I know that some of us are carnal. I know that there's days we all just need to get to the altar and pray through. And that's the problem. I know some of us need counseling. Great, honest Hallelujah. But you know what? All of us need to get a revelation that there is a spiritual dynamic at play. And all of and all of our problems and all of our controversy, even if it starts in the flesh, you better believe the devil will get his little hoof in there and make your mess worse. You need to speak back to that spirit. I may have to fight for my marriage, but I'm not going to have a devil in the middle of it. I may have to fight for my kids, but I ain't going to have... I ain't going to have hell's hoof all up in my. I may have to fight to be a good dad, but I'm not going to fight to be a good dad and have hell on my back. I may have to fight to be a good mother, but I'm not going to fight to be a good mother and have every devil in hell loose in my house. I'm going to bind that spirit. I'm going to pray against that thing, and I will become what God said I can be, and I will. You want to know what a lot of people struggle with when it comes to the idea of family? They struggle with the idea that family requires us to surrender control and liberties. I don't just, I got a wife and kids, I don't just leave when I want now. Or at least you shouldn't. When you got some kids, that's why, that's why, that's why there's nothing more upsetting than somebody with kids who's still trying to get their swag back. That's why we're all grieved when mama's got three kids and she still thinks it's club night. That's why it's so upsetting when someone's trying to raise children and, and feels that I still, I, I missed that on so much by having kids so early. I'm still getting on your nerves and that's okay. I feel like God's just talking to somebody right now. 
You know, in the American psyche, there's this thought that liberty and happiness are interconnected. And without, without even knowing it, we assume the opposite as well, that limitations equals unhappiness. Let me tell you something. Liberty is not responsible for happiness and limitations are not what produces unhappiness. In fact, let me tell you that with every kid we have, there are more and more limitations put upon us. And let me tell you something else. The longer you stay married, the more expectations there are of you and that is okay. Got you on that one. It's okay for your wife to expect a lot. It's okay for your husband to expect a lot. But can I tell you that all of the limitations that come with having kids and a wife produce a happiness that is unparalleled by anything else in the human experience. I may have to stay home when my kids get sick, but I'm telling you, I create memories with my children that, that outdo Disneyland, that outdo... I need some mothers who saw your children walk down the aisle as they graduated and you had all kinds of limitations on your life because their dad walked out on you and you and Jesus and a whole lot of prayer got that kid through school. You were limited. You were bound. You were stricken. You, you couldn't move to the left or the right, but you felt a joy. Amen. All that came from limitations. That didn't come from leaving the kids at home while you went back to the club. That... You know, playing the piano has a lot of limitations. That's why I can't play it. Because if I just get up there and start banging on the keys however I want, there is no harmony. There is no beautiful sound. There's rules that have to be followed. There's restrictions that have to be kept. And from that, I was a fine arts major. That was my major in, in, in college. I was a fine arts major. I went to the Academy of Art in San Francisco. Big money. I looked at a lot of art in my life. You know what the most beautiful thing about fine art is? The frame. That frame is what makes it possible to hang that thing on a wall. That frame is what says, this is special. This is not everywhere. That frame, oh, come on. Y'all don't want to hear that. People don't want to hear that these days. People, are, people feel uncomfortable with that these days. People, people, people don't think that they can have some boundaries and some limitations and be happier than the people who have no constraints, no borders, no boundaries, no framework. I'm telling you, those are the most miserable people on planet Earth. Those are the most unhappiness. Don't buy into the lie. I'm not going to preach much longer. But can I talk to you about Acts chapter 5? About a couple that did not keep the serpent out of the garden. They had promised to give God a financial blessing. And then they backed out. And, they, and it, the, the situation ended tragically. They both dropped dead. But it could have ended so differently had they both determined we're going to guard this garden. You see, when you give to God what you promised, you guard the garden against the devourer. Come on, let me preach to you. Come on, your money problem ain't that you ain't getting paid enough. Your money problem is that you're not returning to God what is his I'm preaching I'm preaching to you
I'm preaching to you from experience. I know what it is to be married and broke. I know what it is to not have groceries. And I know what it is to look at the paycheck and say 10% is still coming off. And five more if the devil gives me trouble. And I'm giving to God. And I'm giving my way out of this. And I'm going to... Come on, come on, come on, come on. Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. I'm not going to preach much longer. Come on, guard the garden. Oh, come on, in the name of Jesus. Can I preach to you out of Genesis 16? Abraham and Sarah got so desperate to have children that they allowed another woman to enter their marriage. Oh, y'all going to sit down now, Proverbs 18 and 8 says, Whoso breaketh a hedge or a wall, a serpent will bite him. When you get rid of the hedge, amen, the serpents come out. Honey, you can't allow somebody else into your marriage via Facebook, via Instagram. You can't be letting dudes slide up into your DMs. Y'all bind that spirit in the name of Jesus. Maybe nobody knows, but this preacher right here is reading your mail and paying for the stamps. I don't care what my ex-boyfriend is doing. I don't care what my ex-girlfriend is doing. I'm a married man. I'm a... We ain't going there. We are not... Keep the wall up. Keep the... With the last few moments that I have, I want to talk to you about some things we got to guard our garden against. Very quickly, we have to guard our garden against anything that glamorizes the use of drugs and alcohol. This is a Christian church. You should have just shouted on that one. Nothing is coming in the garden. That makes liquor, marijuana, heroin, ecstasy, GHB, or anything else. Look, we don't pop mollies. We don't pop pills. There ain't nothing coming in this house. Not Johnny Cash, not Elvis, not Snoop Dogg, not... Come on, I'm telling you right now, there is nothing glamorous about being inebriated. There is nothing glamorous about blacking out and not knowing where you're waking up. There is nothing glamorous about vomiting on yourself. There is nothing glamorous about losing your wife and your children. There is nothing glamorous about the prison life. There's nothing glamorous about drug use. There's nothing glamorous about not knowing. This stuff tears gardens apart. You know, in the parable, in the parable of the, of the sower, in the parable of the sower, the first kind of soil that the seed encounters is wayside soil. And what you got to understand about wayside soil is that it's, 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 it's like the street. It's like the common traffic area. Yes. 
It gets stepped on all the time by all kinds of stuff. And because it's always getting stepped on and traffic is running over it all the time. It's hard and compact and so seed can't get in there. And so it becomes bird food. And that's where the devil wants us. He wants us to just let anything and everything cross over our lives until we become hardened and compacted. And, and we hear preaching like this, and we're thinking, I hope this is almost over. He's getting kind of fanatical. And all of a sudden, the devil is just getting all kinds of bird food. I'm preaching to everybody here who wasn't raised in church. I'm preaching to everybody who backslid. I'm preaching to everybody, amen, who's allowed all kinds of things to run through your life and trample over your soul. You got to shake yourself of that. You got to get the You got to get the plow out. It's time to till. 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 I don't care how many men have stepped on me. I will be a sober-minded woman of God. I don't care how many women. I don't care how many drugs. I don't care how many situations have had their ways in my life. I'm getting up. I'm getting full of the Holy Ghost. I'm coming out of this. I will become good ground. I'll get rid of the... I'll get rid of the rocks. I'll get rid of the thorns. I'll get this hard soil soft. And Jesus will get a good return on his Holy Ghost. But you know, if I want to turn the street into a garden, the first thing I got to do is section that area off and say, no more traffic. No more boyfriends. No more girlfriends until I'm good soil. No more internet browsing until I get my sanity back. <laughs> I can't make the street into a garden if cars keep crossing over. Let me tell you something, and I know, I know how the devil works on us. He tells us, you can't get out of this, you can't get out of this, you can't cut them off. Let me tell you something, every doormat says welcome on it. You can choose to say no more traffic. And not only are there some friends I'm not going to have, there's some music I'm not going to allow. There's forms of entertainment that are not going to traffic through me anymore. And nothing that glamorizes the life that almost killed me. We will guard our garden against anything that portrays suicide as a viable solution. Pastor Booker, I was suicidal when I came to God. I know what I'm talking about. Suicide is not a solution. Cutting is not a solution. You know, there are people here that you think that if you kill yourself, everybody will care. Then everybody will see how bad I, I was hurt, how bad, how bad I felt. Let me tell you something. If you kill yourself, and I hope you do not, people are not going to cry for the reasons you think. 
people will cry, even your parents will cry out of anger. Yes. Your mother who carried you for nine months. Your mother. Your father who worked his hands into arthritis. You listen to me, young person. I know it's hard, but you got to get up and live one more day. I know it's hard. But suicide is not a solution. I don't care what the movies make it look like. I don't care what your favorite artist makes it sound like. It's a lie. It's a lie. Life is worth living. And people do care. I care. Your pastor cares. God cares. Listen to me, people do care. The principal of one of the most violent high schools in the Bay Area started attending our church a few months ago. Out of nowhere, somebody invited her, she came, she sits on the pew, she brought her husband, she brings her kids, and you know what? She got kids that kill herself. She got kids that shoot themselves. And she comes into every service. When she comes, we're still trying to win her. But when she comes, and there's such a heavy load on her. She can't stop every kid in the hallway and tell them how much she cares. But she comes to church, and you could sometimes she's at the high school till 9 o'clock at night. She comes to the church, she lifts her hands, and she prays, and she weeps. Come on, let's pray right now. We're going to intercede right now. There's a spirit of intercession.
Come on, pray. There's some people right now, the spirit of suicide is lifting right off of them. There are prayers being prayed right here. They're moving, they're moving, they're moving. No sickness is stronger. Come on. Pray your brother out of that hole. Pray your sister out of that hole. Pray that person you've been teaching Bible studies out of that hole. Pray yourself out of that hole. Pray yourself. Guard your garden. Get your guard up. Get your guard up. Get your guard up. The weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal. They are mighty through God. Come out. Come out. Pray for that girl in your youth group. Pray for that young man in your youth group.